Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 13th of June, and I'm Govind Raj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top reports today, the rains are a little delayed, but inflation has already begun cooling off and GDP numbers in India are up now at 3.75 trillion dollars. A major data leak as Covin data goes into public domain. Oil prices are being marked down everywhere except perhaps at the pump. More Indians are flying even as airfares continue to climb to stratospheric levels. And hmm, Netflix subscriptions jump after the OTT crackdown on password sharing. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Inflation is cooling off. It was expected, predicted and projected to some extent but welcomed in any case. India's retail inflation has fallen to a 25 month low of 4.25% in May on an annual basis as against 4.7% in April according to data released by the government of India's Ministry of Statistics. Now this was the lowest in 18 months. The consumer food price index CFPI or food inflation also fell to 2.91% in May from 3.84% in April. Rural inflation stood at 4.17% while urban inflation stood at 4.27%. A Reuters poll of 45 economists by the way had predicted that inflation would come down to 4.42% in May down from 4.7% in April. It also stated that the number would be the lowest since October 21. Now how this will translate into the prices or what you buy we don't know as yet or we are watching But meanwhile Bank of Baroda economic research said last evening that the inflation number of 4.3 was lower than their forecast of 4.5% and was mainly driven by food items which in turn was driven by oils and vegetables where inflation fell by 16% and 8.8% respectively You may recall me on an earlier podcast talking about how prices of imported edible oils were dropping quite sharply Given the uncertainty on monsoon the reserve bank will be watchful in inflation and its interest rate policy stance the bank of baroda team said Another data point emerged yesterday this was the index of industrial production or iip that rose sharply to 4.2% in april and it was 1.1% in march Meanwhile the government's ministry of finance has said that india has crossed the 3.75 trillion dollar gdp mark Two weeks ago, global rating agency Moody said India had touched 3.5 trillion in GDP. Now, the jump to 3.75 trillion did not happen in two weeks. Rather, the government is referring to the financial year 22-23 and Moody's to the calendar year 22. The 3.75 trillion GDP figure comes obviously on the back of strong growth at 7.2 percent for the full year 22-23. Now, the current year is likely to see things slowing down a little though. Moody's as I mentioned in my podcast yesterday said the Indian economy is expected to clock a 6 to 6.3% growth in the June quarter which is the current one it also flagged risks of fiscal slippage arising from weaker than expected government revenues now this growth estimate is obviously lower than the 8% projection for the same or first quarter made by the Reserve Bank of India just last week oil prices elsewhere and at the pump 
You may not see any difference at the petrol pump and for some time, but oil prices and the outlook for prices are falling in the rest of the world. They fell again yesterday ahead of a US Federal Reserve meeting as investors try to look at the combined impact of rate hikes, prospects of Chinese demand and rising Russian supply. Now, significantly, and the story of the day, investment bank Goldman Sachs has slashed its oil price forecast by almost 10% on its projections based on more supply and less demand for crude. A report released by Goldman on Sunday said that they were lowering their Brent crude outlook for December to $86 a barrel from $95 a barrel. Even more significantly, this is Goldman's third downward revision in six months and comes in spite of last week's near-shock announcement by Saudi Arabia that it would cut production by another million barrels a day. Now, before we take an international look at oil and where it's likely to go back home, India's energy minister, Hardeep Singh Puri, said over the weekend that if international crude rates stay stable, Indian oil marketing companies would be able to take a call on reducing petrol and diesel prices. According to him, the state-run oil marketing companies, which is Indian Oil HPCL and BPCL did okay in the last quarter. They have recovered some of their losses and have been very good corporate citizens. As we go along, we will see what can be done, he said. Now, possibly this is the best we can expect from someone in a position like his at a time like this. Meanwhile, in order to divine how oil prices are likely to behave internationally in the next six months or so and what's driving it down right now, I spoke to Sydney-based Peter McGuire, CEO of Broking and Research Platform XM Australia or XM.com and someone who tracks energy prices closely. You know, when we look back to February, and I put my mind back there to China coming out post-COVID, and the overall theme was one of bullishness and very much uh, a re-engagement and Chinese strong demand, and I think it really swept up everyone's mindset. Here you are, you've had one and a half billion, nearly one and a half billion people locked down. We're going to re-engage and they're going to be, you know, it's going to be the growth engine moving forward. Well, it seems to, you know, for the first three or four weeks, it was fairly strong and then nothing really um, was it shot the lights out. So in turn, that created, I think, a lot of angst across trading mindsets going back to early April and, you know, certainly by mid-April. And that's been very evident with some of those data drops that we've seen in the last month or two from China. Uh, so there's the first part. And the second part is I think there's a lot of still nervousness out there with high inflation and many other factors that are impacting global growth. Right. So uh, this also comes at a time when the Saudis said that they are going to cut oil production from 10 million to 9 million barrels a day. And that too seems to have not affected this outlook. Well, no, it hasn't. And I think that there's many different factors at play as far as the Saudis are concerned. And that was very evident with the meeting in Vienna, only going back a little over a week ago. It was Sunday week. And when you saw the numbers come out, I, there, there was no doubt that UAE were the winners. They're up 200,000 barrels a day. Saudis have taken a haircut of a million. And the week preceding that really hit everyone between the eyes. It certainly hit me between the <laughs> eyes. Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince's half-brother, who is the oil minister or energy minister, said that if you're on the short side, you're going to get squeezed, you're going to get spanked down and, uh, yeah, don't go short on crude. So there seems to be a very large uh, tug of war at the moment 
between the shorts and the producers. And I know for pretty, I'm not saying a fact, but I know that the, the Saudis want 90 bucks a barrel or 85 and US dollars come under a lot of pressure to the downside since October, down from 114 to 104 or 103, that US dollar index. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the producers. They want higher prices and there seems to be a lot of argy-bargy at the moment. Right. So in uh, in India, we are not seeing the transmission of those lower rates as yet because of various other reasons. So I guess we'll have to wait. But what's your outlook in general for the next uh, uh, six months or so? Leading up to Christmas, I'd like to think that, well, unfortunately, I would think that you will see higher prices. I didn't think that we'd see sub-70 so quickly. I really thought that it would maintain above that price level. But I think that um, the, the the marketplace is very uh, interesting at the moment due to equity markets having a strong push to the upside. We've got inflation numbers. We've got a big week of data coming out as far as US this week and Eurozone and Japan as far as rate policy. And, of course, you know, GDP numbers coming from UK and the other side with what's happening as far as the inflation drop. So, you know, there, there just seems to be so much big ticket news and all of those themes it can change sentiment so quickly. I truly think by end of year or over the next couple of months, we will see higher prices from here. But, you know, you've just got to wait and see how it all plays out because there's a lot of geopolitical hotspots and there's a lot of global themes that are creating much angst for producers and the overall oil market. Hey, uh, last question, you refer to geopolitical hotspots and the biggest one right now is Ukraine. Now, that was supposed to be a factor which was supposed to keep prices high. Uh, that's obviously seems to have got equalized somewhere with Russian oil flowing in uh, one way or the other, or is, is it being balanced out elsewhere? Well, um, that's their point in time. I mean, when you're looking at the Russian situation, and I saw, you know, a couple of uh, very strong comments coming out post-OPEC last week, that there's plenty of Russian crude out there, there's plenty of supply, and they really haven't been um, too greatly impacted with trying to cut production there or trying to restrict as far as distribution. So, you know, you've got to work through that. The situation in Ukraine just seems to be an ongoing saga and we're seeing uh, a rise as far as the Taiwan-Chinese situation starting to gain some steam. So I don't know how all of this plays out. I mean, I'm, we're based in Asia, that's being Australia. We're a long way from anywhere. We've just got to see how this Northern Hemisphere summer plays out it really could create a lot of angst for the markets and uh, it's just very much a wait and see perspective and what policy is going to drive change. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Domestic air passenger traffic continues to rise. It was up 15% year on year in May 23 last month compared to May 22 and 8% higher than pre-COVID levels, figures just released by rating agency ICRA have said. Now, overall domestic air passenger traffic stood at around 13 million for May. To bring some capacity context into the picture, GoFirst, with some 57 aircraft, has not been flying since May 4th, 
and many other aircraft of many other domestic airlines are grounded as well for various reasons. Interestingly, international passenger traffic for the full year 22-23 touched 23 million for Indian carriers, higher than pre-COVID levels of 22 million, but interestingly lower than the high of 25 million hit in 2019, according to the ICRA note. Importantly, this is for Indian carriers who carry roughly 45% of traffic. Passenger load factor, a phrase that you would have heard and signifies quite simply how full your aircraft is or was, was around 94% against 82% in May 2022 and 90% in May 29 being before COVID. Translated, you are unlikely to see any vacant middle seats at this point of time, particularly on major metro routes, so try and book your seats ahead. Meanwhile, here is some aviation breaking news that you first encountered, well, perhaps last year. India has seen the highest jump in international airfares in the Asia-Pacific, according to the Airports Council International, a body that represents airports. A Times of India report says that ACI Asia-Pacific says it looked at 36,000 routes in the top 10 aviation markets in the Asia-Pacific and Middle East and found what it called an alarming increase in international airfares by up to 50%, while domestic routes were up by 10%. The markets saw the highest fare hikes were India at 41%, United Arab Emirates at 34%, and Singapore at 30%. The body, since it represents airports and not airlines, points out that several major international airlines recently announced record profits for the year 2022. While airport operators have been reporting negative EBITDA or earnings before interest tax and depreciation margins for the last 10 consecutive quarters, particularly in China, Japan, Thailand, and India itself. Now, speaking of record airline profits, and despite flights going full, fares going up, and airlines like Indigo in India doing well, its co-founder Rakesh Gangwal and Shobha Gangwal are selling their stakes. Stocks of Indigo fell about 3.4% to 2,377 after reports of their decision to sell surfaced, and then the stock bounced back to close around 2,415. In general, the Indigo stock is hovering around lifetime highs. Now, their decision to sell is part of a phased exit strategy from the company after Rakesh Gangwal stepped down as director last year following a bitter battle with Rahul Bhatia, the co-founder of the airline who now runs it. As of March end, the Gangwal duo owned about 16% and their family trust owned another 13.5%. Meanwhile, Maybe information that's of more relevance, Indigo announced that it would fly into the United States on code share with Turkish Airlines starting this week or June the 15th. A big bad data leak. A big chunk of data collected from people who went to get their COVID vaccine shots has leaked. Information on hundreds of thousands of Indians, or a number that we know right now, who received the COVID vaccine and was collected on the COVID portal owned by the government of India was leaked on a Telegram channel. Reports suggested that phone numbers, gender, Aadhaar card numbers, passport numbers and date of birth were leaked and could be retrieved from a Telegram bot by just entering the person's name. The story was broken by the fourth news, a Malayalam news portal. The media had a field day by revealing, with the most critical parts scratched out fortunately, names of well-known politicians among others with dates of birth and other details. 
The government put out a careful denial last evening saying the Telegram bot was not directly accessing the Coven database which was safe and protected from any breach. Now that may well be the case but most such leaks are not the outcome of direct hacks or someone dialing into a database mission impossible style rather someone taking out an entire data dump physically or virtually and then putting it onto quite mischievously an interactive platform elsewhere as seems to have been the case with this telegram bot the government also said that the indian computer emergency response team or cert-in would look into this issue and submit a detailed report could the covin platform and vaccination effort and data collection have been done differently it's possible but unlikely and surely not in india we have to take a few steps back to how life was in early 2021 as vaccines were rolling out and a vaccine certificate allowed you to enter a venue or take a flight enter a city in india or even travel overseas into some countries many western countries like the united states by the way went for a simple handwritten card system a little like the old russian cards in india but driven more by privacy concerns rather than the lack of the ability to build a coven like digital system though many did express the need for one meanwhile there are many databases in india now ranging from aadhar of course to coven and smaller ones like passports pan cards and even local driving licenses this data leak only highlights the need for utmost focus on the integrity and safety of these databases and most importantly the people who access them and hmm Netflix subscriptions jump on password sharing. Many OTT fans were utterly dismayed when Netflix said it was cracking down on password sharing in many countries last month. A report in the Washington Post last evening said this move had now led to a major spike in new subscriptions. The Washington Post quotes an analysis released over the weekend by television analytics company Antenna saying Netflix posted four of its best days of US acquisition with nearly 100,000 daily signups on May 26th and 27th a few days after the crackdown started and netted 73,000 new daily sign-ons on an average with the ratio of signups to cancellations also increasing the password sharing crackdown began May 23rd when Netflix started sending emails to members who were known to be sharing accounts outside their household The company said that a Netflix account is for use by one household. Everyone living in that household can use Netflix wherever they are at home on the go on holiday. There was an angry social media backlash to Netflix's move including by many who threatened to switch to other platforms but it appears that those who backlashed so to speak were the piggy backers rather than the original subscribers. All in all a useful consumer insight including for other markets like India perhaps. for which of course we will have to wait and see meanwhile netflix's shares rose 2.6% on friday that's it from me for today have a great tuesday and see you tomorrow this was the core report with me govind raj ethiraj do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. 
write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.